Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Ancestor, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Ancestor is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash ancestor. November 8th. The wristwatch buzzed. It wasn't an alarm buzz, because for alarms, the watch beeped. The buzz only meant one thing. Contact. The buzz was a five-minute warning, a notice to go somewhere, be alone before the full message came in. There was no one else in the room. The five minutes passed very slowly. A tiny chip in the watch picked up certain heavily encrypted satellite signals. The chip decoded those signals, buzzing out the translated message in the simple dots and dashes of Morse code. Destroy com. Destroy all trans. Destroy all data. Support lands at 1700. After all this time, the command to act. How odd when the project was so close to completion, so close to extending life for millions of people. No, not when. The correct word was if. There was no guarantee they would ever overcome the immune response. And besides, who gave a fuck? Someone would figure this out eventually. As long as Ruhmkorff didn't get the credit, it would all work itself out. It would be dangerous, true, but the plan was already made and it wasn't that difficult. Quietly take out the transportation and communication to completely isolate the project. Then destroy the data, both the live set and the backup. After that, play dumb and wait for Colonel Fisher and his goons to arrive. At the computer, a few key taps brought up a private menu. Several prepared programs were ready to go, hidden inside a miles-long stream of archived genetic code. No way was it safe to hide the programs in a ready-to-use format, not with Jean on the island. That woman interacted with computers in a way that defied logic. If hacker programs were just sitting there, Jean would have found them somehow. These programs would cause some damage. How much damage depended on whether Jean was awake or asleep. She was the only real variable, which meant something had to be done about her or the plan might not work. Regardless, tonight it would all be over, one way or another. November 8th, a shot and a chaser. A. G. C. T. Over and over again, the endless chain scrolled across the screen. Some segments highlighted in yellow, some in green, some in red. 
the special language, the true language of life, a language that for some reason only she could really see, really understand, biological poetry. Jian! She blinked. The poetry changed back to scrolling letters. She was in the bioinformatics lab. She looked up to see Tim standing in front of her desk. Mr. Feely, she said, and as she did, she realized that he'd been standing there for several seconds, quietly saying her name over and over. Part of her brain had hurt him, but hadn't wanted to come out of that special place. You're my boss, he said. Think maybe you can finally stop calling me mister? She shook her head. No, she could not do that. Sometimes she tried, tried to say PJ or Tim or Klaus, but it always came out Mr. Colding or Mr. Feely or Dr. Roomkorf. Her seven-monitor computer array here was identical to the one in her room. Tim held up a bottle and a medicine cup, reached around the outside monitors to offer them to her. You forget something? Her meds. She looked at the bottle, then at her watch. She was two hours behind on her meds. Ah, I am sorry. She took the bottle and plastic cup. He walked around the desk to stand next to her chair. And what are you doing up? You should be in bed. How about you turn in? She shook her head, put the medicine bottle down, and started reaching for the fridge under her desk. Got you covered, Tim said. He pulled a can of Dr. Pepper from his lab coat pocket. She smelled alcohol on his breath. Mr. Feely, have you been drinking? Just a shot or two, he said. And speaking of shots, the meds are yours and this can is your chaser, so drink up! Tim made her laugh. He was a good assistant, although not as good as Galena had been. But where Galena had spent most of her time with Erica, Tim made sure Jian took her meds, slept, even ate. Sometimes, Jian actually forgot to eat in the times when the code took over and minutes turned to hours, turned to days. Jean poured the lithium citrate into the medicine cup, filling it to the five-milliliter line. She drank the medicine, then immediately drained the whole can of Dr. Pepper. Carbonation bubbled up in her mouth, chasing away the lithium's nasty taste. The bad taste was worth it, though, because it made her normal, made her able to function without seeing them. The medicine let her work. She reached for the fridge again, but Tim produced a second can from his other pocket. Gotcha covered, he said. Jian blushed a little. Tim and PJ took such good care of her. It almost made this place tolerable, despite Roomkorf's pressure and the constant mean comments from that evil bitch Erica. Jian, come on, Tim said. We failed the immune test before. Give work a rest for a little bit. We'll get back to it in the morning. No, we must work. Did you come up with anything? Yes, Tim said. A bitchin' new high score in Tetris. You must be very proud. Not really. I reprogrammed it so I could win. Maybe you should try playing some video chess. Let your mind do something else for a little bit. She shrugged. She wasn't about to lecture a grown man on the value of hard work. Come on, John, go to bed. I will, she said. Let me finish sequencing the four new samples first. Then I will sleep. Promise? She nodded. All right, Tim said. Then you're on your own. I'm pooped. Cheating at Tetris will really take it out of you. Night. 
He turned and walked out of the room. She rubbed her eyes. She was tired, but it wouldn't take that long to finish this process. They'd long ago collected samples of every living mammal known to man. After that, Dante had started acquiring samples from extinct species. Each time they digitized one of those additional genomes, the god machine's viability rate went up. Would the four new samples Bobby had delivered take them over 80%? Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The myriad forms of animals on Earth take many shapes, but every last one is made from a simple set of four nucleotides, adenine, guanine, cytosine, and thymine. Those four basic nucleotides create the double helix structure, that is deoxyribonucleic acid, or DNA. Some people didn't understand double helix, but everyone got John's favorite description, the twisting ladder. Variety between the strands, across the rungs of the DNA ladder, is limited even further to just two combinations. Adenine can only bind with thymine. Guanine can only bond with cytosine. But the combinations along the sides of the ladder, the four letters A, G, T, and C, combine in infinite ways. Those infinite combinations were what Jean wanted to analyze, to digitize, so the God machine could see the full genome of each animal and compare it with the master-ancestor sequence. First, she extracted the cellular DNA of the four extinct mammals and placed each in a vial. To each vial, she added her sequencing master mix. The mix consisted of a DNA polymerase, random primers, and the four basic nucleotides. The mix also included dideoxynucleotides, which were nucleotides with a slightly different chemical structure that contained a fluorescent section critical to the final stage of the process. She slid the vials into a polymerase chain reactor, a machine designed to produce billions of copies of the target DNA. First, the PCR machine unzipped the DNA by heating it to 95 degrees Celsius which broke the hydrogen bonds in the rungs. That split the double helix, leaving two single strands of DNA. The machine then cooled the mixture to 55 degrees Celsius. This brought the prefabricated random primers into play. A primer is to a strand of DNA what a foundation is to a brick wall. DNA strands can't form at random. They have to begin with a primer. Lowering the temperature allowed the primers to lock in to complementary sections on the single DNA strand so that a primer with the combination A, C, T, G, A would make rungs that created a combination of T, G, A, C, T on the other side of the ladder. A binds with C, T binds with G, and click. A starting point locks down. Then, 
more heat. As the temperature rose to 72 degrees Celsius, the DNA polymerase started at the random primers and moved down the open strand, locking free nucleotides onto the open-ended single DNA strands, just like a train engine building the track underneath it as it goes. The end result was two perfect copies of the original DNA strand. From there, the process quickly repeated over and over. Two copies became four, then eight, then 16, an exponential increase that added up fast. In years past, there had been more steps she had to follow, but now the entire process was automated. Her machine created millions of identical copies, peppered with the little fluorescent dideoxynucleotide chunks that marked segments. The computer used a laser to make those chunks fluoresce, then counted off the segments. End result? A nucleotide-by-nucleotide analysis of the animal's DNA. The millions of copies provided an extremely high degree of accuracy. The resultant data fed automatically into the supercomputer known as the God Machine. There, John's programming would take over. She closed the lid on the PCR machines and set them to run automatically. In just a few hours, the four new DNA sequences would join the thousands they had already sequenced. She called up the current genome database. Genome A17 Sequencing Processing Proofreading Algorithm Processing Projected Viability Probability 65.0567% Over and over again, the powerful God machine processed trillions of combinations of DNA, looking for the magical set that would produce a viable embryo. They were close now. A few more samples. A few more mammalian species, perhaps, and they would have it. She still had her secret experiment, the one she hadn't revealed to Ruhmkorff. Kolding had insisted on destroying all elements of the human surrogate mother program. John had saved just a little bit. A special little bit. She had an ancestor genome with a 99.65% viability probability, one that would beat the immune response for sure. Not a cow's immune response. Her immune response. That had been her little secret through the human surrogate phase. She'd used her own DNA as the primary working template. The irony was that Kolding's insistence on eliminating the human surrogates had saved the company, but if they could use a human surrogate, they would have a successful implantation on the first try. Jean had kept her own modified eggs, hiding them inside the waist-high tank of liquid nitrogen that also held the last 16 rounds of God Machine genomes. They were her eggs, after all, and she couldn't really bear to part with them. Maybe, if the bovine experiments totally failed, she'd actually use them. Millions of lives hung in the balance. Ruhmkorff would probably even help. He was desperate to make it happen, desperate to make Jean stop being so stupid, such a failure. So many people, people dying every day, dying because of her incompetence. She needed to relax. Maybe Tim was right. Maybe a little video game. Just for a few minutes. No one would know if she stopped working. John quietly turned to her left lower monitor and called up the chess master program. So bad to play now. But she was stumped. Come on, Kasparov level. Do your best. She always beat the Kasparov level. At least the computer program was good enough to make her actually think about her moves, 
which was more than she could say of playing anyone else in the project. Poor PJ, always trying so hard to win, but he could only see five or six moves into the future. Jeanne saw entire games played out before the first pawn advanced. She stared at the black and white pieces lined up neatly on the video chessboard. The computer waited for her to make the first move, but for some reason, she could only stare at the pieces. The black pieces. The white pieces. Black and white. Black and white. Black and white. They might be another color, and yet the game would still be the same. Blue and red. Yellow and purple. And that wouldn't make any difference because the board's function didn't change. The board that lay underneath the black and white pieces. Black and white. Like the fur on the cows. That's it, she whispered. That's it. She quit the chess program and called up the bovine genome, her fingers an unrecognizable blur on the keyboard. It was so obvious. Why hadn't she thought of this before? If all that mattered was the internal organs, the underneath, she could eliminate hundreds of potentially problematic genes by swapping out what was on top, the integument. The god machine could process that change even while counting off the genomes of the four extinct mammals. Could all of it be enough to push the viability rating over 80%? Her main terminal let out an alarm beep, demanding her attention. She called up the alarm window. Remote, backup, failure. The off-site backup, the 10-petabyte data drive array that sat in a temperature-controlled brick building at the end of the runway. It had failed. That system hadn't failed once in the 14 months since they'd installed it. The array was designed to survive no matter what, to keep the experiment alive in the event of worst-case scenarios at the main facility. Computer crashes, fire, electromagnetic pulses. She'd been told it could even survive a really big explosive called a fuel bomb, although she couldn't imagine why someone would use such a destructive thing on a harmless research facility. The timing couldn't be worse. She had inspiration, the missing link that might let her solve the immune reaction problem. But she highly doubted the backup drive failure was an accident. Someone was up to something. She'd just have to do two things at once. Deal with a backup failure and simultaneously type in the genetic code that had hit her like a blast of mountain wind. She isolated the computer lab from the rest of the network, then quickly called up a diagnostics program. November 8th, Mrs. Sansom. Marguerite's hands moved of their own accord, as if possessed by an unseen demon of passion. She undid the laces on her bodice, slowly exposing her soft, moon-shaped breasts. When the night air caressed her nipples, she gasped. How could she be so bold? Yes, Mrs. Sansom, Craig beckoned heatedly. Yes, let me see. I will, Craig, she cooed sexually. She stared at him, her eyes passionately out of focus. She wanted him, but he was a vampire, and a stable boy vampire at that. She had come so far from her servant beginnings, winning the hand of Edward and becoming Mrs. Edward 
Sansom, the Duchess of Tethshire, and a very rich woman with money and jewels and many servants of her own. This was wrong, was it not? This was evil. She had to run. Run to Pastor Johnson and do something or she would become an evil denizen of the night and seek the blood of innocence. However, before she could turn and run, Craig stood up and effortlessly declothed himself of his trousers. His penis sparkled in the moonlight like skin made of crushed rubies. Gunther Jones sat back and read his words. Not bad, if he did say so himself. Take a bite out of that, Stephanie Meyer. How hard could it be? Some handsome bloodsuckers, some romance, a little forbidden fruit that turns into hot sex, and boom, vampire novel. The wee hours of the morning were usually his most creative. Tucked away in the security control room, no one bothered him, particularly at 3 a.m. Not that he didn't do his job. There just wasn't much job to do. Other than making sure Jean didn't try to off herself, he ran through all scheduled procedures and checked that the alarm systems were online. If anything came up that required eyeballs, he woke Brady or Andy or Colding, depending on who was on call. Closed-circuit cameras blanketed the facility's interior, giving him a view of every possible angle. After almost two years here, he was adept at keeping the monitors in his peripheral vision. If something out there moved, he'd see it. Nothing ever did. That meant Gunther Jones basically got paid damn good money to sit and write for hours on end. He'd completed two novels in the Hot Dusk series already, Hot Dusk and Hot Evening. As soon as he finished his current book, Hot Midnight, he'd have a kick-ass trilogy to push on agents. The computer beeped, indicating an alert. Gunther reduced his novel, making sure to save it first he wasn't about to lose those amazing words, revealing a flashing alert message. Satellite uplink signal down. He called up the maintenance screen, hit the relink button, then waited to see the link reconnect like it always did. Colding didn't like losing that signal although it happened from time to time for some interstellar communications reason they didn't really understand. A new message appeared. No signal detected. Relink failure. Huh. He'd never seen that before. He repeated the step and waited. No signal detected. Relink failure. Colding's going to be pissed. Gunther called up the diagnostics program and let it run. Hardware failure. He stared at the screen. Hardware failure? That had never happened before. There was only one thing left to do in the repair protocol. Send out some eyeballs. He turned to the vid phone and punched Brady's room. You have been listening to Ancestor by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.